This morning's sermon is entitled, The Imperative of Dedication. What is entitled, everyone? The Imperative of Dedication. You sound a little groggy this morning. Imperative Dedication. That's all right. It is Sunday morning. Uh, if you're like any normal young person, you probably stayed up a little bit longer. Some of you are smiling with a, 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 sl- a slight guiltiness. Y- yes, 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 I did. Some of you older folk are, are about to fall asleep right now, but that's okay. Young people, keep them awake. Uh, we need to keep each other awake. This morning's sermon's entitled is uh, The Imperative of Dedication. The Imperative of Dedication. Hopefully, your experience here at GYC has been a positive one. Our objective here at GYC is not to have a nice conference, although some of you have, given us, have been giving us compliments of how great a conference this is. Forgive us for some of the inconveniences you've had, perhaps the walking distance, perhaps the, the culinary taste that we have cultivated here, uh, perhaps some of the, uh, just some of the inconveniences. We, forgive us. Forgive us. But what we seek to do here at GYC is to create a movement. Create a what, everyone? A movement. We want to move. This morning we're going to study some of the movements of history. And perhaps it can give us a clue on how to move in this present day. Some of the past movements, let me, if I could list them for you. Uh, we talked about the disciples the first night. Disciples were first rank converted men. We have the Reformation we'll talk about in a few minutes. We have the founding fathers of America. I love American history. We have George Washington. Tall, wooden teeth, weird looking man, but he could command men to go out and do something. He had John Adams, shorter, roly poly, and he could communicate with England. And you had Thomas Jefferson, shy, but he could articulate with his pen. You had James Madison, you had Alexander Hamilton, you had John Jay. You had all these group of men who came up at one period of time and they organized. They moved, they did something, and they created America. You had the early Adventists. You had these homey folk, 12 years old, 17 years old, 18 years old, and they wore overalls and they grew their beards out to their knees. But they created a movement that would still exist today. You also have the communists, friends. Remember them? Right now, they're on a little island in, in, the, uh, in the Caribbean and, and north of South Korea. and They're in those isolated pockets. But they, at one point, took over one-third of the world. You have the Muslims. They have a, a concerted effort, one of the fastest-growing denominations out there, a movement. And even in America, you have, without making a political statement, you have Barack Obama who won the 2008 election with the help of young people. Yes, we can. GYC seeks to be a movement. I want to emphasize that. There's some of you here sitting today and you're YC junkies. What did I say? Now, I'm not trying to make a drug, I, I am making a drug illusion. What happens is you go from YC to YC to YC to YC, and you just listen, 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 get the audio verse, and listen, 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 and you don't move. You're fat. You're obese. 
I still love you, but you're fat and you're obese. You have all the scriptural knowledge. You know all of Daniel. You know all of Revelation. And you just sit there. We need to move, friends. Amen? We need to burn that excess fat. Amen? The Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was a group of men who could think, who could do, who could move, who were intelligent. All of you know Martin Luther. We won't talk about him. I'm going to list you a couple people here. Theodore Beza. Have you heard of him? I've never heard of him. I just went through a, a Protestant uh, Reformation book, looked at these guys. Theodore Beza, he was a scholar. He fought against the monarchy. You have Martin Bucer. He was a, uh, a follower of Calvin. You have Heinrich Bullinger. All these European names. Heinrich Bullinger. He was a guy under Zwingli. He was a great preacher. He had 12,000 of his letters are still found today. And they're of huge uh, spiritual and theological uh, importance. Imagine if we had 12,000 of your emails today. What would they reflect? Hey, what's up? You had William Farrell, you had Jan Latsky. He, he almost created the Reformation in Poland. It almost started in Poland of all places. You had Martin, uh, not Martin, Martin Luther. You had Peter Martyr. You had William Tyndale who translated the English Bible from Hebrew and Greek intelligent. You had Ulrich Zwingli. He died in battle. He's a pastor who died in battle in the Swiss army. He had Thomas Cranmer. He betrayed the Protestant Reformation. He recanted against them, but then came back to the, to the movement. And when they burned him, he put his right hand in first. You betrayed me first, so you will die first. He put his hand in the fire. Crazy! John Knox. He was the leading reformer in Scotland. He came out with the, fact, he came out with the idea, every church should have a school. And Scotland used to be one of those most back... Uh, backwards country in America, or in America, in Europe, mercy. It was the most, most ignorant countries out there, most illiterate. Because of him, all the arts, a lot of literature, philosophy, and, and, and education was preserved in Scotland because of a church school. Where are the Adventist church schools today? They're struggling. Four or five students a lot of parents saying, yeah, I'd rather send them to another private school of, of better quality. The Queen of Scotland feared John Knox's prayers more than anything else, even death itself. They were under the, the banner theme of ad fontes, meaning going back to the original, going back, going back. These were first-rank scholars, but they weren't just intelligent. They were first-rank preachers, first-rank uh, organizers. They were movers. Where are the reformers of today? Let me just text message my friend here. Let me just play we, yay, we. Let me just eat my, my veggie hot dog today. Where are the reformers today? What's interesting is Peter Berger, sociologist, famous sociologist of religion, he said, the Reformation is the greatest organizational achievement in the history of man. What's interesting that he wrote in, 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 his, in, his, in his piece is, this was a network of friends. We see these guys and they're all giants, and, but they are all friends. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, the friends you make here could be the foundation for the next Reformation. 
the roommate that you have, the weird person that you're sleeping with in the bed could be the next Martin Luther and you could be the next Calvin. What's interesting is Peter Berger said these guys fought all the time. It's okay to fight within the ranks. Amen? They had vigorous discussions. But they were for the same goal. We need to be fighting for the same goal and be willing to articulate our differences in a winsome and Christian way. We can talk about the nature of Christ within our ranks. We don't need to get all, you know, we're fighting for the same goal in the end. Amen, friends? What's interesting also is they had a fraternity system. Not fraternity like, hey, let's get drunk, fraternity or sorority. They had a brotherhood. They would go out and they'd say, this young man has a lot of promise. I want to tutor him. I want to mentor him. I want to. And they would pass on their themness to the next generation. Just like the disciples did. Now, this wasn't only for men, but the women were extraordinary also. What's funny is behind the scenes, these giants, these, these scholars, these, these, you know, these almost gods and goddesses of, of, of the Reformation. I don't mean that in a pagan sense, but you understand, these, these, these characters, they fought over girls. Did you know that? They'd write correspondence to each other like, hey, I'm interested in her, so don't touch her. No, but I'm going to get her before you do. Thou, man of God, you know, I don't know. How to... it's, it's just, they were just like us. Some of us. <laughs> these ministers, these reformers were celibate. They were from the Catholic Church, weren't they? So when they came out of the Catholic Church, they realized they were so busy doing the work that by the time they got, they got age 30, 32, 35, like, um, we need to get married. And by that time, everyone their age was already married. Because, you know, they were, they were priests. So who in their time were uh, girls who were also celibate? The nuns and the convents. So what's funny is these reformers would take up speaking engagements that were close to convents. Mother Superior would say, oh, uh, Pastor X, whatever it is, and uh, would you come to the convent of St. Of, Mary of the Holy Ascension or whatever it is? Is that a nun? Yes, I will be there. Yes, I will be there. What's funny also, the hidden, hidden correspondence shows that they were setting each other up. Apparently, Zwingli was the most pickiest of the reformers. And he would make these funny comments. This nun looks like a cow. I don't want to marry her. Martin Luther was the, was the, was the one who, date, oh, who uh, match made these, these the most. And this one girl, he's like, hey, what about him? What about him? What about him? And she said, no, 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 no. That you're never going to get married. Who do you want to marry? And she said, you. <laughs> and they got up together and they had like 8 million kids. I think they had 8. I think they had 8. 
But what these women were particular, they were also, into, they were part of the social aristocracy. They had an education, and they, they knew that they had an obligation to the, to the Reformation cause. They said, we need to be the best examples in Europe. We want to have the best families. We want to be educated. We also want to articulate the beliefs of the Reformation. We want to be the best mothers domestically, but we also want to be the best evangelists out there. You know, Seventh-day Adventist women have the highest calling. We are a denomination with a woman prophetess. She has asked all of the women to be the best domestic mothers and wives in this world has ever seen. But not only that, but also uh, evangelists and ministers for God's cause. Soul winners. Broad thinking. Visionaries. In a book called Dedication and Leadership, Douglas Hyde has written this book. He was an ex-communist. He's an ex-what? He's an ex-communist. For those of you in the next generation who do not know what communists are, communists are these scary people who believe in a scary uh, political system who live far, far away. Okay? Go read Wikipedia. Not enough time for this. But he said he left the communist party and he entered into Roman Catholic religion. Now, I'm not uh, condoning one or the other. I'm actually neither. But he writes in this book, how is it as a communist who does not believe in God, we conquered one-third of the world, but you as Catholics who believe in a supernatural God have not conquered anything? Where is your level of dedication and leadership? And that stands as a rebuke to us Adventists because we believe in God and we have the ultimate truth, the scriptures, we have the fullest revelation of truth thus far, and how much have we progressed? Where is our level of dedication and leadership? He mentions a couple of things. One, simplicity. If someone asks you on the street, guys, who are you? Justin, what do you do for a living? Pastor, canvasser, minister, whatever it is. Oh, of what denomination? So seven, seventh day of the Adventist. Seventh day Adventist, Christian. Oh, what do they believe? What? I uh, got, got to go. Sorry. You have to have these instances airplane, bus, taxi. GYC, hotel. Douglas Hyde says that every communist says this, I know that we are probably going to die, but the rich have always held their power over the poor, and for the first time in history, the poor have the opportunity to change that and eliminate po poverty forever. From the youngest kid to the oldest man, everybody is taught just to simply state their beliefs. Do you know your beliefs to say simply what you believe in? We are not Sabbath-keeping, non-coffee-drinking, non-pork-eating, uh, weird people. That is not who we are. We are people who love Jesus to the fullest, and we're seeing how can Jesus trickle down to every aspect of our lives. Two, excellence. He writes, You will be respected if you are very good at your job, not just because you are good at talking about your beliefs, it may be quite irrational, but the fact is, if you're recognized as being outstanding in one thing, you will be listened to all sorts of subjects in no way related to it. If you're really going to be effective in your place of work, you must be the very best man at your job. 
I heard a sermon by, uh, by, by Brother Don McIntosh. I believe it was his grandfather who was a mechanic. Have you heard this story? His, his grandfather was a mechanic, and he wanted to be an evangelist and do mechanics at the same time. How could he do it? So he decided one thing, he's going to be the very best mechanic possible. Second, he changed the name of his shop to Ten Commandments Shop. Now, if you want to find an honest mechanic, you go to Ten Commandments Mechanic Body Shop. And while he's there, and you're getting your car fixed, he says, I'll give you 10% off if I give you a Bible study while I'm fixing your car. So you can teach him the principles of tithing and also give him a Bible study at the same time. And I'm assuming business boomed. We need janitors who are the best janitors possible. If you're going to work at McDonald's, bless your heart, but be the very best mcdonalds possible. Make sure you become manager of McDonald's, go to corporate, take over McDonald's, and get veggie burgers in there, friends. <laughs> if you're going to go into fashion, praise the Lord, get into fashion. Get into the, the, the highest echelons of Paris, and perhaps put in principles, principles of modesty for change. Imagine if modesty was in. You turn on the fashion channel and we're like, huh, that looks like church clothes. Hey, it is church clothes. That's in. Instead of wearing a bikini to church. Amen, friends? Get and be the very best you can. And when you're best at this, it transfers over and people are going to be willing to hear what you have to say. But if you're just, I'm a janitor, I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, No one's going to listen to you. This affects your studies also, friends. Students, he writes, you work very hard for the cause and we are very grateful to you for what you have done, but you would have done a better job for communism if you passed your exams. <laughs> you would have more likely to carry, carry conviction amongst your fellow students. More importantly, you would be more effective later on. You will not always be a student. Student life is preparation for whatever follows afterwards. We want to use this student period as a preparation for going out and making a mark in your profession so that you may do a good cause for communism out there. The better you do your exams, the better it will be for the cause. Now just replace communism for the Lord. Amen? Now yesterday I made a comment about African drum dancing. That was not something out of the blue. I have a friend who was in anthropology and she studied African drum. Now I am not condoning African drum dancing by one way or another. But that's what happened to her. And she converted all the other, not the all the other, but a lot of the other anthropologists out there. Who would have never heard the Adventist message otherwise. Another friend, she was a, 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 a student of a majoring in history at an Ivy League st- uh, college in the East Coast. She did the very best she could. She got, an a- she got the highest grade in class. She wrote the best uh, exam- uh, reports, papers. And at the end of the course, the professor respected her. The professor knew who she was by name. And she went into office hours and said, Professor X, I'd like to recommend to you a history book that's been very powerful to me. It is called The... And the professor read it. If the student was a 2.3 GPA, D-plus average dropout. Hey, professor, you want to read The Great Controversy? Will the professor read it? 
Maybe if they're really nerdy, maybe. But probably not. Number three, character development and mentorship. He writes, he writes a story about Jim. Jim was overweight, bald, unattractive, ugly, weird, shaped. And communism said, we take everyone and anyone, not based on externals or ability, but only one thing, dedication. If this ugly, contorted, fat, bald man is dedicated, we'll take him and we'll train him and we'll give him opportunities. And this Jim character became, a, became one of the leading, leading trader, trainers of communism afterwards. Four, he writes in page 107, throw your troops quickly into action again in some sector of the front where they can get a quick, quick victory no matter how small. People, once they are suitably active, activated, get satisfaction from being active. Young people, we need you, every single young person, to engage into the local church level. Go to your pastor and say, look, I want to teach Sabbath school. It starts on a very small level. I want to, be, I want to teach primary. Did you know the preachers, if you want to be a preacher, you know how the best training for being a preacher is? Preach to the young kids. If you can catch the attention of the juniors, of the primary, of the blessed early teen. God will make you into an awesome preacher in the future. But if you think, oh, I got stuck with the meanie, you know, primary, yeah, be faithful in the small things. Next point he says is, individual members of the Communist Party are brought to believe that together they and others like them can change the world in their lifetime. They actually thought, we can take over the world before we die. And they took over one-third of the, of the then-existing world. See, young people are stupid. We don't know that we don't know. Right? So we do everything. Whereas, the more older you get, you have more experiences and more fears and like, well, this won't be good and you want to do this. And that's why elders and pastors and board meetings happen to be three hours long. When young people get into board meeting, hey, let's take over the world. Okay, I second that. Okay, dismissed. And we go out and we take over the world. We're stupid. But the Lord uses our stupidity. We need the experience of the elders, friends. We need to combine them together. And lastly, he says this, and this, this is powerful, friends. In page 42 to 45, the best way to train a young person. This is from a communist, right? So take it or leave it. The best way to train a young person into the movement is an activity that he calls, you ready for this? Canvassing. Just between you and me, friends, and, and all three of you men, <laughs> I hate canvassing. Does anyone enjoy canvassing? Oh, bless your interesting hearts. <laughs> you knock on doors, slam, slam. Now, what he says is this. Young people need to develop not more skills and learn more and then and get educated. They need to experience a horrible, traumatic experience. Canvassing. 
They need to learn how to think on their feet when someone asks them, what is communism? Oh, are you a communist? And they need to experience the trenches so that they feel how insufficient they are. And then they lean upon edge and they, lean, they learn more about communism, more and more and more and more and more. The more insufficient you recognize yourself to be, Avenus will not lean more on education, but will lean on the educator. Amen, friends? Canvassing is where dedication is created. And Ellen White says every young person must receive the experience of canvassing. Every young person. Now, every person is not called to be a colporteur. Amen? Amen. But every person must have that experience. For you older folk, if you haven't canvassed, you need to canvass. To experience the humility of getting that door shut in your face. But also the joy when you sell a whole set. And the joy of a colporteur will be five million times than the rest of us when they see all those converted people in heaven. This morning, we're going to look at a biblical movement. Please open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we read scripture, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. Verse 5 and 6 talk about a movement. This is called the Elijah message or the Elijah movement. A lot of people say that this was John the Baptist before Jesus came, and it was. But if you look in verse uh, 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. When Jesus came the first time, was it a great day? The angels were saying, behold, this is a great day. Yay, Jesus is here. Hallelujah, amen, all these things. It was a great day, but was it a dreadful day? No. Did the angels say, oh, the baby Jesus is born. Flee, everyone. No. That's why we sing those cheesy Christmas songs, okay? The dreadful day of the Lord is the second coming of Jesus. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Who shall... Verse 5 talks about a Elijah movement happening before Jesus comes the first time and when Jesus comes the second time. There are a couple characteristics of this movement. I'm going to go quickly down this. One, they had the boldness and fearlessness that we talked about on Thursday's Friday morning. Elijah told Ahab in 1 Kings 18, 18, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, and in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. 
in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist says to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. There was a certain audacity, a certain boldness, certain I don't careness, a certain where is your dignity, friend, kindness. We need that today. We need a generation of young people who are willing to get mohawks for Jesus to get pink hair for Jesus, to get a belly button piercing for Jesus. For a, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying get these things, friends. Uh, please, please don't. But I'm saying, are you willing to go that out and be, be ridiculous for Jesus? Shave your hair, friend, uh, girls, for Jesus. Would you be willing? Now, I'm not saying that. But would you be, going, would you be willing to go out on a limb and give someone a Bible study for Jesus? to preach for Jesus, to go on a mission trip, to do missions for five years for Jesus, to do move for Jesus. We need boldness in our schools. For those of you in public, uh, public or private schools, be bold in the classroom. Don't be stupid, be bold. We need boldness in our families. If your husband, if your wife, if your children, if your parents, be bold with them. We need boldness in our church. Stand up to your pastors. Love your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Be smart with your pastors, but be bold. We need to be bold at work, in our workplaces. You need to convert your companies out there. The second fact is this. These men were also humble. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel in 1 Kings 18.42. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. John the Baptist writes in Matthew 3.11, He that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. These men were not only bold, but they tempered it with humility. Some of us are too bold and we're stupid too. We stand up and we're like, and we shoot ourselves in both feet and in our knees and in our hips. Some of us are too humble and we compromise as a result. We need to be bold and humble together. I'll keep on going. Three. These men were also simple and modest. Elijah, uh, in 2 Kings 1.8, Elijah was a hairy man with a garment of hair, meaning he had a girdle of a belt of leather about his loins. John the Baptist was the same, and he ate locusts and wild honey. These men were simple. These men were revolutionary with their diet and their dress. Adventist, there is a component to your diet. Just because you're eating veggie meat does not mean you're living by the standards of the health message. Some of those sausages, which are not really sausages, they're er salty erasers, are more unhealthy for you than the actual sausages themselves. Let us really appreciate the health message. Just because something, something has no animal products in it is not safe for consumption. Is plastic vegan to eat? We need to be healthy, friends. And we also need to, be, need to be modest. Gentlemen and women, we need to be modest in a way that we've never seen before. And also good looking. Sometimes we think modesty is to look ugly. The Lord does not appreciate ugliness. In Psalms, it says, Lord, you are beautiful. The Lord encapsulates all beauty. Being visually, uh, aesthetically pleasing is not a bad thing. 
But that doesn't mean you got to bling bling yourself all up. Doesn't mean you got to let the uh, metal detectors go off at the, the airport. Doesn't mean you have to have chandeliers in your auditory functionary uh, parts of your head. Gentlemen, you too. It is more common to find men with earrings in this day. To be more effeminate in men is more popular than to be masculine. Black studs in the earrings is becoming a fad. We need to see a level of modesty and good lookingness that this world has never seen before. Four. Elijah was a mentor. He found Elijah. John was a mentor in Luke 7 through 18. 7, chapter 7, verse 18. He had disciples all about him roundabout. Moses had Joshua. Paul had Timothy. Jesus had John. The reformers had all their, their little, little underlings. Elijah had the school of the prophets. Friends, one way to get involved is to find yourself a mentor. And old people, you need to mentor the next generation underneath you. There's been this break, and forgive me for getting this off my chest. I'm an Asian. We believe in the respect of the elderly and passing down our experience to the next generation. We have this continuity. But in North America, is I am old, you are young, get out of my face. I am young, you are old, you get out of my face. And there's a complete separation of the generations. The Malachi, the Elijah messages, the hearts of the children are toward, turned towards the who? The fathers, and the fathers turn to who? To the children. There needs to be the, sh the bonding of hands once again. And what, find, what we find in the sociological studies is the next generation that's coming up, the orthodox generation, the, the trans-modern generation, the one that's, that's, that's just sick and tired of the post-modern generation. But you know post-modernity is over. We're now entering into post-pomo, anyway, we won't get into philosophy. We are entering a generation where young people appreciate grandparents. Grandparents old people, the super old people, remember them? That was a generation of the golden times where grandma knew how to cook and, and she would cook happily and, and grandfather and grandmother would sit down at the table together and, and, and the, the pace of life was a little slower. The next generation says, hey, we want that. None of this iPod, 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 text, 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 phone, 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 internet, internet, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. None of this. Just to sit down and eat some oatmeal, carob cookies and talk with grandma. Grandma, what was it like when there was no water on this earth, you know? <laughs> Grandfather, what, what was it like to go through the Great Depression because we're entering a de depression right now? You need to teach us how to live. Grandfather, grandfather. We need this mentoring back again, friends. And GYC's original function was to bring some of the, the, the scholars, some of the church leaders, some of, some of the, the preachers together and have the young people and get them to mix together. But we've gone into this Adventist celebritization. Oh, it's Mark Finley. It's Mark Finley. Can I have your autograph? And there's nothing wrong with this, friends. We're all brothers and sisters together. But we need to, Mark Finley, can you mentor me? Doug Batchelor, can you mentor me? Israel Ramos, can you mentor me? Dr. Pippin, can you mentor me? Pastor X, can, mom, can you mentor me? Instead of getting an autograph and running away, giddy, 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 and getting, you know, putting a poster of Randy Skeet in your bedroom. No, 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 no. <laughs> we need to be mentored under the most godly people we see. Amen, friends? 
Amen? Number five, we need Elijah and John were repairers of the breach. They repaired worship. Worship is in crisis today. There is a level of let's just hang outness that's entering worship. Worship is an intimate experience between you and God, but it's also a corporate thing. Cell phones must be turned off during worship. Amen, friends? How dare you take a cell phone message or a call in the presence of the Lord? Now, we love you, friends, and we're not blasting you. Oh, we are blasting you, but we bless you with all this love. Turn your cell phones off. If you're falling asleep, wake up. And if you're dancing during worship, there's something wrong. If there's smoke machines going on, there's something wrong. If there's an electric guitar that's jamming away like heavy metal, there's something wrong. And what youth leaders who are 50 years old are telling next generation is, hey, this is the style that you like. What I'm telling you is, I don't like that style of worship. And Time Magazine said, and again, Time Magazine, Time Magazine said, the next generation is more orthodox. They're sick of the lights, of the screens, of the PowerPoints, of the guitars, of even microphones. They want an organic, real movement. They want hardcore Bible study. They want personal one-on-one relationships. And they're not finding it anywhere except for one place, the Roman Catholic Orthodox Church. Traditionalism, candles, saints, mystical water, wafers. We as Seventh-day Adventists are 10 years too behind, if you will. Right now, there are churches in the middle of nowhere and say, hey, we need to be progressive. Let's try a guitar <laughs> now in 2008. A little late for their friends. In Germany, I saw a worship service where there are smoke machines and there are students in the front, young people, and they're moshing during divine worship. They had makeup on goth, and this guy was just, da 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 Jesus, da 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 I love da 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 it scared me to death. <laughs> Elijah and John were reformers, friends. We need to move. We need to move. And last thing, they were also persecuted. Do not be afraid of persecution. How many of you are afraid of persecution? Do not be afraid of persecution. Why are you afraid? The Lord is on your side. When I was little, I used to think with my church, my buddies, we'd go sit in the car and think of ways of the, of the most painful way to die when we're persecuted. What if they put needles in our hands and slowly, will you deny the Sabbath? No. <laughs> what if they put us in the oven and they turn up the heat? What if they put us in a washing machine that you're dizzy and you're drowning at the same time? There, the world will see a time when we're persecuted like this world has never seen. But God will be with us. Amen, friends? What have you got to worry? If God be for us, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Today, are you suffering persecution? No. Then is the logic to say that all are not living godly in Christ Jesus? In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Elijah, this is how we get the spirit, friends. Elijah says to Eli- Elisha, says to Elijah, I pray thee, 
let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Thou hast asked a hard thing, says Elijah. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall also be with you. But if not, it shall not be. Young people, we need to take a certain initiative, a certain dedication on our end and say, look, you're, you're a good person. Give me a double portion of your spirit. I need to be mentored under you. I need to learn this. I need to go to Arise. I need to go to campus. I need to go to AFCO. I need to go to life. I need to go to GYC. I need to do it. There's some of you here because your mommy said you need to be here. Take initiative for yourself. Because if you live under your mother or your father's spirituality, you will get nowhere. And bless the mommy and daddy who brought you here anyway. But take initiative for yourself. We need to press towards our elders and say, I let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I close with this. One of the former generation of uh, 7th Avenue, this is Robert Pearson. How many of you know who Robert Pearson is? Young people, you need to know your Avenue's history. In 1978, October 15th, Robert Pearson was the general conference president. He gave his last address to the annual council of the general conference. The annual conference is the last year-end meeting, by the way. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a huge section of this. Now, I want to ask you to listen. I'm going to ask you to do what? Now, young people, you are, as, as I am, as I am, are just so, and if you, you just zone out. I'm going to ask you this morning to, this morning, amen? Now, don't think about what time your flight is coming in, or if you didn't do your laundry today, or, you know, what is the fifth color of the M&M cycle. You know, don't think of these things. Think what is the pastor saying? Amen, friends? Amen. Quote, They say a sect is often begun, begun by a charismatic leader with tremendous drive and commitment, and then it arises as a protest against worldliness and formalism in the church. This first generation is generally embraced by the poor. The rich would lose too much by joining it because it's unpopular, despised, persecuted by society in general. It has definite beliefs firmly held by zealous members. Each member makes a personal decision to join it and knows what he or she believes. There is little organization or property and there are few buildings. The first generation has strict standards and controls on behavior. Preachers are often without education and they arise by inner compulsion. There is little concern about public relations. Generation two. The next generation with growth, there comes a need of organization and buildings. As a result of industry and frugality, the members become prosperous. As prosperity increases, persecution begins to wane. Children born into the movement do not have to make the personal decisions to join it. They do not necessarily know what they believe. They don't need to hammer out their own positions. These have been worked out for them already. Preachers arise more by selection and by apprenticeship to older workers than by direct inner compulsion. In the third generation, organization develops and institutions are established. The need is seen for schools to pass on the faith of the fathers. Colleges are established. Members have been exhorted to live up to the standards, while at the same time, the standards of membership are being lowered. 
the group becomes lax about disfellowshipping non-practicing members. Missionary zeal cools off. There is more concern over public relations. Leaders study methods of propagating their faith, sometimes employing extrinsic rewards as motivation for service by members. Youth question why they're different from others and intermarry with those not of their faith. Generation four. In the fourth generation, there is much machinery. The number of administrators increases while the number of workers at the grassroots level becomes proportionately less. Great church councils are held to define doctrine. More schools, more universities, more seminaries are established. These go to the world for accreditation and tend to become secularized. There is a re-examination of positions and modernizing of methods. Attention is given to contemporary culture with an interest in the arts, music, architecture, and literature. The movement seeks to become relevant to contemporary society by becoming involved in popular causes. Services become formal. The group enjoys complete acceptance by the world. The sect has now become a church. Brothers and sisters, this must never happen to the Seventh-day Adventist church. This will not happen to the Seventh-day Adventist church. This is not another church. It is God's church. But you are the men and women sitting in the sanctuary this morning on whom, men, on whom God is counting to assure that this does not happen. Already, brothers and sisters, he continues, there are subtle forces that are beginning to stir. Regrettably, there are those in the church who belittle the inspiration of the Bible who scorn the first 11 chapters of Genesis, who question the spirit of prophecy's short chronology on the earth, who subtly and not so subtly attack the spirit of prophecy. Are you guys still with me here? There are some who point to the reformers and contemporary theologians as a source and the norm of Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. There are those who allegedly who are tired of the hackneyed phrases of Adventism. There are those who wish to forget the standards of the church we love. There are those who covet and would court the favor of the evangelicals. There are those who would throw off the mantle of a peculiar people and they would go towards the way of the secular materialistic world. Fellow leaders, beloved brothers and sisters, do not let it happen. I appeal to you earnestly as I know this morning, do not let it happen. I appeal to Andrews University, to the seminary, to Loma Linda University, do not let it happen. We are not Seventh-day Anglicans, not Seventh-day Lutherans, we are Seventh-day Adventists. This is God's last-day church for, with God's last-day message. And he concludes with this. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 204 and 205. The enemy of souls has sought to bring in the supposition that the Great Reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists. And this Reformation will consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as, a, as the pillars of our faith and engaging in a process of reorganization. Were this Reformation to take place, what would result? The principles of truth that God in His wisdom has given to the remnant church would be discarded our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years would be counted as an error. A new organization would be established. Books of a new order would be written. A system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. Founders of this system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work, but the, the Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. 
nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of the new movement, the leaders would teach that virtue is better than vice, but God being removed, they would place their dependence on human power, which without God is worthless. He ends this with the saying, the Seventh-day Adventist church had its alpha apostasy years ago. You and I are the leaders who will face the omega that will be of the same subtle, devilish origin. Its effect will be more devastating than the Alpha. Brethren, I beg of you, study. Know what is ahead. Then with God's help, prepare your people to meet it. What I submit to you today, this morning, is four generations have passed. If Robert Pearson were alive today and he passed away in 1989, he would ask the question, what would the fifth generation do? This is you who are sitting here this morning. You are the fifth generation. How will you conclude Robert Pearson's sermon? Whether you're 14 years old or 44 years old or 104 years old, you are the fifth generation. How will we move this last day Elijah movement? Enough of the YC junkiness. Enough of just maintaining the church. Enough. Enough. Let's start getting serious. Let's be dedicated towards God's cause. Let's finish the reformation that was started hundreds of years ago. This morning, I want to make two appeals. First appeal. I want to make three appeals. First, very general. How many of you want to be part of this movement? Stand up right now. Now, I don't believe some of you. You're just standing up as the rest of you are standing up. My second appeal is this. How many of you want to be foot soldier for God's cause? You need to be coal portering this next year in 2005. Come up right now to my left hand, your right. You need a coal porter this summer. Saying, Lord, I want an awesome experience, a horrible experience, whatever experience. I want to learn the art of coal portering and be a canvasser for Jesus. Come up. God bless you. Come up right now. Guys, if you're in the way, get out of the way. Make sure the young people, old people, new people, whatever people are here. Quickly, run. My second appeal is this. There are gentlemen in this room who need to be pastors. Enough of the effeminate beanie pastors. We need pastors of visionary sights who see the whole meta-narrative picture, who are strategic, who are smart, who are intelligent, who have scholarship, but also who are godly and they love Jesus on a level that this world has never seen. If the Lord is calling you to ministry, pastoral ministry, I ask you to come up to my right here. There's some gentlemen, you need to be a pastor. The Lord is calling you to be a pastor right here. I'm going to ask Camille Metz. I'm going to ask uh, Bill Crick. I'm going to ask any uh, canvassing people, come up here, pray for these young people here. And if you're an ordained pastor, come up to the front on my right and be with the, with the, with the pastors here. We need gentlemen who are engaged in the ministry, who can put people to work. We need generals in God's army. And amongst this esteemed group, if you are a woman and you are also called to ministry, maybe not the pastoral ordained ministry, but every other ministry out there just as capable of men, come up to the front right here and join our brothers here. We need women of foresight, women of capability, women of competence. Stop the beaniness. <laughs> Enough of this. Enough. The Lord is saying we need an imperative of dedication.
A dedication this world has never seen before. Come up front. Come, come, come. Again, if you want to be a coal porter, the Lord is impressing you upon your heart. You have never coal portered before. You stand to my left. And if the Lord has impressed you this week to be a pastor, to be engaged in the pastoral ministry, come to the right here. Or if you're a woman, to be engaged in some other form of ministry, just as qualified as men, come here. Come, come, come. Still more time. Come. There are those of you who are stubborn. You're thinking, not me. I'm not going to coal porter. Pastor said he hates coal porting. I hate coal porting too. You need a coal porter. Come out here. Come out. I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is telling you, coal porter. Not for the rest of your life, just for the next year. Sometime in the next year. Just here. Coal porters. Ministers. We need foot soldiers. We need generals. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Father in heaven, you prophesied of an army of youth. Father, we seek to be this army of youth. Forgive us for messing around. Father, we seek to be reformers. Father, we seek to be communists of heaven. Father, we seek to be committed to throw away worldly ideologies, worldly objectives, worldly values and to usher in the second coming of Jesus. Father, there's been enough pomp and circumstance. Lord, forgive me if I've been a fool before you. Forgive us at GYC for a myriad of sins that have been, have been taking place. But Father, may your spirit rest upon these two groups. Be with the foot soldiers, Lord. May they be the most effective group of canvassers seen in this world. This world has never seen before. And Lord, be with the group of, 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 of those who are, who are in the ministry, Lord. Create your generals, Father. We need to be organized. We need to be a movement. We can only do this by a double portion of your Holy Spirit. We pray this humbly and boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.